Do not plant your crops yet. Do oceans need names? 99.9% .9 of the universe is outdoors. Court not frostbite nor the like. Don't measure snowfall in microns. If you hate ice so much, why don't you divorce it? A snowman is more snow than man. What would I even do with a narwhal tusk? Congrats to whoever's got that saucer sled patent. So many stars. Welcome now to Out of All Doors. Hello, and welcome to the 17th episode of Out of All Doors. I'm your host, Adam Drent, and I'm the aforementioned host of the aforementioned Out of All Doors, a podcast about, of all things, the outdoors and the people who love it most. Not that it's a competition, but if it were, our contributors would win, our listeners would get second prize, and everyone else would share the ignominious distinction of being tied for last place, the prize for which is an unfulfilling, unrewarding life spent failing to properly appreciate the outdoors. Truly the grimmest prize of all. So grim, in fact, that the word prize almost seems inappropriate. Now let's take a step back and examine a small part of what I just said, a podcast about the outdoors. Let's break it down further, podcast and outdoors. In previous introductions, I've spent a lot of time musing on one of those two words while almost completely ignoring the other. Sure, this podcast is about the outdoors, but it's also a podcast. It's a piece of media, a finely crafted blob of monthly content that requires a lot of work, organization, coordination, and computer literacy to bring it into being so that you can then listen to it from beginning to end, enjoying most of the segments, but probably some more than others. And maybe you don't enjoy a few of the segments at all, but you don't hold that against me or the podcast as a whole. But I can already hear a few of you critics out there saying, Oh, but Adam, you say you're all about the outdoors, but a podcast is something you make indoors. And to them I say, Where do you think they make hiking boots? And then I can hear another wave of critics like, Oh, Adam, that's a classic example of the straw man logical fallacy. That's not actually the problem your critics have with your podcast. And to this new set of critics, I say, look down at your shirts, and when they do, they see that they're wearing shirts that say, I don't understand logical fallacies on them. And once again, I've bested my critics. But then on the horizon appears a new wave of critics, shouting, bellowing, a cacophony of criticism. But it turns out that their criticism is that Out of All Doors is too good, whereas I contend that it's actually the correct amount of good. So me and the critics agree to disagree, and they go on their way, and I go on my way. And the fourth wave of critics, who were just showing up to criticize me for always having an adversarial relationship with critics, sees how cordial I'm being with the third wave of critics. So the fourth wave of critics turns right around and marches home. But then a fifth wave of critics appears, and this wave means business, because they've got a big problem with the fact that I never invite listeners to write into the show and ask questions of me and the other contributors, which I then read on the show and then have whoever was asked answer the question. But if these critics had waited like ten more seconds, then they would have heard that that's exactly what I'm about to do. Critics need to have more faith and be more patient. That's my criticism of critics, especially this fifth wave. So, yes, now that the criticism is all out of the way, I want to invite each of you to write to us at outofalldoors at gmail.com and ask us some questions. And you can ask any of us a question, anyone who's been on the show. Let me give you some examples. You could be like, hey, OOAD, love the show. This question is for Adam. What's your favorite animal? 
And then I would derisively snort and question your level of fandom and then say, Oh, gee, I wonder what it could be, in a very sarcastic voice like the one I just demonstrated there. And then I'd say, Well, Winston, assume for the sake of this example that your name is Watson and that I'm saying it wrong for comedic effect. So I'd say, Well, Winston, I guess I'd have to say my favorite animal is the bat's primary source of food, the bug. But then I'd soften the blow and be like, no, I'm just kidding. My favorite animal is the bat, and thank you for listening and writing in. And I hope you've enjoyed this light ribbing enough to give us a good rating and a good review on iTunes. Or you could send in an email and say, hey, OOAD, I adore the show, and this question is for Casey. Casey, will your segment ever make sense, or is it just going to be increasingly incoherent month after month until it devolves into a 10-minute stream of gibberish, broken only by that horrendous clip of Adam and Jason singing about pajamas and pajamas? And then Casey would respond to that question, and he'd give you a straight answer, because he'd have to, because you're a listener, and that would be the whole point of the segment, to give straight answers to listeners' questions, so he'd have to. Or you could write us an email like, Hey, OOAD, you guys got me through a really hard time, and I may very well not be alive today if I didn't have your show to look forward to every month. Anyway, this question is for Harrison. Harrison, are you a murderer or just an idiot? And even though that's a very rude email because of how you started it, Harrison would probably feel hesitant to snap back at you in any way. So you'd have the complete advantage over him, and he'd probably just end up sadly agreeing that he's an idiot because, well... You only gave him two options, and he insists he wasn't even in the car when it hit that guy, so he'd be stuck with idiot. You'd really have him over a barrel. Or you could even write us an email like, Hey, OOAD, your show is a joke. I love jokes, and I love your show. That's the only way in which your show and jokes are similar. I love them both. This question is for Squall. Squall, why is there a video on YouTube of you unboxing and reviewing a tube of Cortisone 10 wherein you smear it all over your ravaged shins and then accidentally expose yourself when you're pulling your pants down to apply the cortisone to your thighs? And then, because the rest of us here at Out of All Doors are also genuinely curious about the answer to this question, we might actually hunt Squall down and allow him the opportunity to respond to this question. Or you could write an email like, hey, OOAD, I don't like the show, nor do I love the show, because actually, I was lying the first time. I do like the show. My question is for the saint. The saint, how come I've never heard of any of the beasts in your bestiary before? And then I'd do my best to pass that question along to the saint, and provided he even understood it, he might try to answer it. I don't know. Listen, it might be better to address questions to someone other than the saint. Not because he doesn't inspire a lot of questions, but just because, well, you know how he is. You've heard him. Why not ask Cayman Bird, hermit correspondent, a question instead? You could ask him something like, how many beards does the average hermit have at one time? And he'd say something like, one. Listen, I get how you might feel a little ripped off by that response, but you're the one who asked him a question with a one-word answer. If you wanted him to say more, you should have tacked an and why onto the end, to which he would have responded, because human beings can only have one beard at a time. Listen, I'm sorry, but your question was just fundamentally flawed. Try again in a month. Sheesh. Maybe you should just move on from your question for Cayman and write something in for Matt. Something like, Matt, your favorite outdoor writer is Felton Hausch. Will you share some thoughts concerning your feelings for his work and why you think he's better than his better-known peers? And I, of course, won't be able to play Matt's entire response on the podcast, as his response will probably over an hour on its own. But I will play a few short clips of his response, preferably clips without much weeping, if I can find some. 
Or maybe you'd like to ask the ghost bat queen how she got that recording of you whistling eerily, to which I'm assuming she'd respond that she didn't get a recording of you whistling eerily. That's a recording of her whistling eerily, and any similarity to your own eerie whistling is completely coincidental. Or you could write in with a question for Eldon Langley, Brandon Schmidt, Smoke Sinister, Eugene in Portland, Maine, or any other current or former contributor to Out of All Doors. Although I'm currently not on speaking terms with Cousin Ben, and don't write in any questions for Grang. Not that any of you would, but even ironically, like, ha ha, we get it, you have a question for Grang. Just, no, you're not being funny or original. Finally, I'd like to do something here that I usually do in the sign-off at the end of the episode. Make a nonchalant plea for the three R's, ratings, reviews, and recommendations. That is, that you rate us on iTunes, write us a little review, and recommend that other people give us a listen. And now, with all that said, let's begin, shall we? All right, Grang, fine. I'm recording this call now. What did you want? You're recording it now? Right now? This is going to be on the podcast? No, it's not. Not unless it's something someone would want to hear, and right now it's just you asking me if I'm recording this, which no one would want to hear. But you are recording. Yes. Okay, perfect. So, Drent, as you know, Christmas has come and gone. And as you also know, it's customary for friends to get friends gifts to celebrate the season. Now, I realize a full month has passed since Christmas, and I did try to get your gift to you on time, but I had a little trouble getting in touch with you since you weren't responding to my calls, or my texts, or my emails, or my Well, letters. I didn't know you were trying to give me a gift. I thought you were just going to complain about my canceling the corn dog segment. Oh, no, 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 certainly not. As upset as I was about you making me rush clumsily to the end of what I had hoped would be an elegant 36-part series, at minimum, that has no bearing on the gift I have for you, nor on this segment at all. This isn't a segment, Grang. So far, it's just another audio file for me to delete. Well, it will be a segment when you see the gift that I got you. It'll all be clear then, and you'll be so excited to include this recording as a segment on the next episode, you'll want everyone to hear what I got you. It will be of interest to all of our listeners, I can assure you of that. Great. Uh, So let's get to it. But first, before we get to what I got you, since we should probably save that for the end, did you get me anything? What did you get me? I didn't get you anything. Let's just get to what you got me, Grang. I still have so much to do for this episode. I haven't even written the visualization exercise yet. Well, I thought there might be a slim chance that you'd forgotten to get me something, so I actually put together a very, very small list of things that I'd like for Christmas from you. In fact, the list is so small that it's only one item long, and that item is that I'd like to have my own recurring segment on Out of All Doors. Now, before you answer, I actually have a second, only slightly longer auxiliary list that expands upon the first list in some interesting ways. It's a list of ideas for my new recurring segment on Out of All Doors. I'll hit some of the highlights. Number one, who's the moss? Number two, fish I might have caught. Number three, hunting the hunted. Number four, make way for ducklings. Number five, did an otter do it? Number six, the Chronicles of Corn Stop! Stop! Number- Grang! Enough! Tell me what my gift is now, or I'm going to stop recording and hang up on you. All right. Well, we can discuss my new segment later. And bear in mind that if you're having trouble choosing between a few of those ideas, I'd certainly be willing to do more than one segment. Maybe even as many as five or six, as long as I have complete creative control over all of them. 
But again, we can discuss that later off the air. Or on the air, if you want. I certainly don't mind having our listeners hear the inner workings of our creative process. But for now, are you on your computer? Yes, we're on Skype. We're talking on Skype right now. All right, all right. Now open up your internet browser of choice. Okay, now what? Is it Safari? It's Chrome. Keep going. Come on. All right. Find the address bar at the top of the screen. It should be long and narrow and whitish, I believe, if I remember Chrome correctly. Grang, you are teetering on the razor's edge right now. Type the following. W, 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 dot. Now, that's a period, Drent, not the word dot. If you don't speed this up, I'm going to go back into all the old episodes you're in and take your corndog segments out of each one and then repost the episodes without so much as a hint that you were ever involved, Grant. Oh, okay, okay. After the dot, type O-U-T-O-F-A. Are you, send- are, are you sending me to the old blog address, outofalldoors.wordpress.com? Is that where I'm going? Yes, you guessed it. Go there now and look. Okay, well. Okay, well, I'm here. Uh, Surprise! Surprise! I figured out Maya's password. I got the old Out of All Doors blog back for you, Drent. See? Don't you see? Well, uh, there's no sign of Maya's unholy blog, so that's good, but it looks like it's owned by some kind of door company now. There's a message here. Future online site of the Out of All Door Company. Whenever God closes a door, it's an out of all. What 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 are you talking about? Hold hold on, let me go there myself. Let's see. WW dot out of all doors dot wordpress dot com. <sighs> Hmm, some kind of error. It's three W's, Grang. W-W-W oh, oh, dot. Oh, right, right, right. Let me try again. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. What? what's this? What's going on? There, there was supposed to be a special message I left for you here. I don't, I, I don't understand. Oh, okay. Let me try to log on. No, no. The password's been changed. Someone else must have figured out my login information since the last time I was on the site and used it to take over the domain. Wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. You're saying you figured out Maya's login information and instead of just telling me right away, you logged in to the blog and changed the password and set up a special message and spent a whole month trying to set this call up without giving me any specific information and then somehow... Someone else figured out your login info and stole the site again, except this time it's a total stranger? Drent, Drent. Um, yes, that's what happened. I, I don't understand. How did you get the login information from Maya? Ugh, it, it took months. Months of careful calculation and elaborate deception. First, I created a new email address and a new Facebook account, and I pretended to be a staunch indoor enthusiast named Alfonso Porterkitch, who had stumbled across Maya's blog and wanted to contribute to it. She was suspicious at first, but little by little, I convinced her that I was real, that I was genuine. Ugh, the things I had to say to her, Drent, they turned my stomach. I, 
I had to declare my hatred of the outdoors to her over and over again. And every time I'd feel a stabbing pain in my heart, I'd think about how you would react if you were to ever hear me saying such things. And I thank God each night that you never did and never will. But I kept at it because I knew, I knew that in the end it would be worth it. Because eventually I'd be able to present you with the blog, scrub clean of all Maya's filth, fresh and ready for us to reclaim it and rebuild. But it's gone now. We- it's, it's gone. Because some door company with a name bizarrely similar to ours got it from you. Somehow. How could they have gotten your new login information, Grang? That doesn't make any sense. I, I have no idea. But, but I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to make this right. Drent, Drent, I shall now swear the oath of allegiance to out of all doors. Recite to me the oath and I'll repeat it after you, thereby fully and officially committing myself to this noble cause as I must. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no oath of allegiance to out of all doors. Drent, don't try to shield me from my duty. Read the oath. I won't give you a moment's peace until I've sworn the oath. Fine. Uh, okay. Uh, repeat after me. I, Grang. I, Greg. I, Grang. I, Grang. Swear an oath of, what, allegiance to Out of All Doors. The end. Swear an oath of allegiance to Out of All Doors. The end. But this is not the end. For now that I've sworn the oath, I'm honor-bound to find this password, to pursue it, to hunt it down, to capture it, and return it to you, Drent, and to Out of All Doors, the true and rightful owners of www.outofalldoors.wordpress.com. And then and only then will I accept my segment or segments on the podcast. So, hold on. You're going to find this password somehow? How how are you going to do that? With determination, with force of will, dogged persistence, investigative prowess, and my powers, powers of deduction. All right, great. Well, this has been a total waste of time. I'm further from getting the blog back than ever. Great gift, Grang. All is not lost. I'm going to get the password back, Drent. I took an oath. So are we done here? Well, I still have a few ideas for my new segment that I wanted to run by you real quick. Just kind No, of, Greg, yeah. no. Are you kidding? You're asking about getting your own segment now after what just happened? Do you not see how bad this timing is? You're, you're right, you're right. Priorities. First, I get the password for the blog back to prove that I'm ready to have my own segment again. Then I'll have my own segment or segments. I totally get it. Well, I'm not making any promises. Of of course not, of course not. But I can read between the lines. No password, no segment. Yes, well, that much is certainly true. But once I get the password back, then there'll be nothing standing between me and my own segment. I'll probably keep working on some ideas for segments, actually. That way, as soon as I get the password, we can start work on my segment right away because it'll be a full... All right, Greg, I've got to go now. I'll talk to you uh, uh, sometime. Drent, I'll call as soon as I know more about the whereabouts of the password. I'll keep you in the loop every step of the way. Not necessary. Uh, Just tell me if you get the password. Bye. Bye. We're going down. Our engines are on fire, billowing smoke. 
We're spiraling toward the ground. Alarms are blaring, the metal shell of our aircraft groaning and creaking from the strain. Some of us are blacking out. Some of us are singing hymns, although it would be nice if we could all sing the same hymn instead of like four different hymns. A mathematician would be able to figure out exactly how soon we're going to hit the ground, but two of our mathematicians are blacked out, and the other one is too busy singing up from the grave he arose in a piercing falsetto to do any math at the moment. Here comes the ground. We hit the ground. We punch through the ground? What's going on? I'll explain at the end, but for now, just know that we see a lot of black shapes flapping past the windows of our cockpit because we have entered the battery. Speaking of crashing, an astronaut crashed on a planet and was captured by hyper-intelligent bats and kept in a cage where he was treated like an inferior species. Then he escaped and saw the ruins of the Statue of Liberty and he realized that he was on Earth in the future and he was like, oh, okay, this is Planet of the Bats. So he went back to the bats and surrendered and while they treated him like a pet for the rest of his life, he had to admit that the bats were doing a much better job with society than humans ever had particularly in regard to society's acceptance of bats, so that was a big step forward. And the Bat Society was only doing slightly worse in the area of providing the man with potential girlfriends, which he was willing to admit was a pretty self-centered complaint, especially considering that the bats themselves all seemed to have very fulfilling romantic relationships. And speaking of crashing and romantic relationships, there was a wedding, and then, following the wedding, a reception. And there were no bats invited, but a few bats showed up anyway. They just casually flapped into the event center where the reception was being held and acted like they belonged, mingling with the other guests, flapping around on the dance floor and clinking glasses with silverware to get the bride and groom to kiss again and again. And no one ever told them to leave. No one ever asked them why they were there, although a few people did ask other people who the bats were and if they were there for the bride or the groom. And later, after the reception was over, and in the years that followed, friends and family of the married couple asked them who the bats were, and the married couple always said they had no idea, that they'd seen the bats and wondered why they were there, but since the bats didn't seem to be doing any harm, they hadn't bothered to have them kicked out. And no one ever did find out the reason that the bats were there, which was that the caterers had included mashed-up bugs in the recipes of all the food at that wedding, even the cake. And speaking of crashing and romantic relationships and cake, an aspiring baker made a bat-shaped birthday cake for his wife of six years. And on the cake and frosting he wrote happy birthday and he took it home in a state of high excitement, for he knew his wife would love the cake. He had never been more certain of anything in his life. But then the aspiring baker's wife saw the cake and she looked sad. When the aspiring baker asked her why she looked so sad, his wife said it was because the cake was so close to being an accurate representation of a bat, but it failed because there isn't a species of bat that has the word happy birthday on its chest, so ultimately the cake had to be considered a failure on a strictly scientific level, which she knew was a silly way to evaluate a cake, but she couldn't help herself, it just bothered her. And you know what? She was right. There has never been a real bat with the words happy birthday on its chest, and so the man's special cake could be said to have crashed and burned in a figurative sense. Or in other words, it was not successful. Some people just aren't cut out to be bakers, no matter their aspirations. And speaking of crashing, romantic relationships, cake, and aspirations, there was a man who aspired to be the best professional matchmaker of all time. That was his grand goal, but one night when he was riding a bike and a bat swooped down in front of him, 
The man, ignorant and foolish, shrieked, veered his bike off of the road, careened out of control, and crashed into two men who were carrying a giant cake on a tray, and all three men were injured. But the bat flew away unharmed and untouched by the man's prejudice, and this is a valuable lesson that sometimes the people we hurt with our prejudices are not bats, but rather ourselves, and men on the street who are just going about their business. You're probably wondering if that man went on to achieve his goal of being the best professional matchmaker of all time. Well, I'll tell you his name. His name was Dirk Mazerly. Had you ever heard of him before this story? You hadn't? And are you pretty in the loop in the professional matchmaker community? You are? Well, then there's your answer. And speaking of crashing romantic relationships, cake, aspirations, and, uh, bicycles, there was a different man who also aspired to be the best professional matchmaker of all time and who was also riding his bike one night when a bat swooped down in front of him. Charmed and intrigued, the man shrieked in delight, swerved abruptly to follow the bat, careened out of control, and crashed into two men who were carrying a giant cake on a tray. But none of the men were injured. The giant cake cushioned their fall, and they all ended up laughing and covered in frosting, rolling around on the sidewalk and having the time of their lives. And the bat flew away without caring that it had brought these moments of pure joy into the world, but responsible all the same, and therefore worthy of all the credit. And this is a valuable lesson that sometimes when you allow yourself to pursue your love of bats with your whole heart, you actually become invulnerable to physical injury. You're probably wondering if that man went on to achieve his goal of being the best professional matchmaker of all time. Well, I'll tell you his name. His name is Chris Mink. Had you ever heard of him before this story? You hadn't? And are you pretty in the loop in the professional matchmaker community? You aren't? Well then, of course you haven't heard of him. Why would you expect to? I told you I'd explain how crashing into the earth actually resulting in us ending up in the battery. Well, the explanation is that we weren't actually crashing into the earth. We were crashing into a life-sized replica of Earth made out of wire and paper and filled with bats. So when our crashing plane struck the surface, we just punched right through it. So now we're just continuing on through the dark, hollow center of the replica. Bats flapping out of our way as we zoom by. Maybe using their wings to wave the smoke out of their eyes in irritation after we've passed. And then forgetting we were ever there. And us? Well, eventually we'll punch through the other side of the replica and continue out into the black void of space until we hit another planet. Or maybe we never will. Maybe we'll just keep crashing forever until we've sung every hymn we can think of and we've all blacked out and our plane will hurtle on into the inky void in persistent silence and we will leave the battery. Now it's time again for Outfit of a Day with the Ghost Bat Queen, and she's asked me to encourage you to focus intently on the sound of her, of her voice. voice.
The outfit of a day is my attempt at ASMR. The bear's fur was so soft. The fox's tail is bushy. It sways in the wind. The frog fell asleep on the lily pad. The sloth ate the green bean and smiled. The baby sloth is swaddled in a little cotton nightgown and tucked into bed with a warm blanket that is fresh out of the dryer. The baby sloth drifts right off to sleep. The baby sloth has peaceful dreams. Welcome. Seems like it's been forever. What, like three months, four months? It's all been a blur. But welcome. Whatever. This will be the last episode of Nature's Serenade. Are you sad? Are you surprised? I didn't think so. I'm your host, Gregory Ho- I'm your host, Dwayne. My name is Dwayne Leesman. That, that's who I am. Really. Dwayne Leesman, not Gregory Hugavine or G. Honey or whatever. Just Dwayne. Ordinary, bland, dim-witted Dwayne Leesman. I'm not some fun-loving, hippie, tree-hugger folk sensation. I'm just a former data entry clerk for a financial aid company who had a nervous breakdown in the office. Happens to the best of us. I mean... After a phone call with an idiot client, I I sort of destroyed my cubicle, broke all my pins, and covered my body in ink and screamed at Sheila Stenson, my supervisor, that I was in an airplane and she was the turbulence of my soul. So after that, I had to do these mandatory therapy sessions with this quack, uh, Dr. Dr., uh, I, I forget his idiot name, but I had to see him once a week or I'd be fired. You know, the usual type of stuff. So Dr. Quack Quack suggests that I need to make massive changes in my life. I need to become a new me. I had to become the complete opposite of Dwayne Leesman. So that's what I did. Of course, before I did that, I told my supervisor what she could do with my reasonable expectation. And I was quickly fired after that. But then I took on the persona of Gregory Hugavine, nature worshiper. At first it was weird, a difficult change, but out of all my personalities, I really liked G-Honey. G-Honey cared about things. Nothing important, but he at least cared. Dwayne Leesman doesn't care about anything. However, for those of you who listened to my show on Out of All Doors and didn't fast forward through it, maybe two or three of you, I feel like I should explain my absence from the show. Not that you missed me, but for the last, oh, 90 days, I've been in jail. That's right, 
Gee, honey, was in the slammer. Why, you ask? What could I have possibly done to put myself in jail for three months? Well, let's back up a bit, shall we? Remember on the last episode of Nature Serenade when Audrey, who just happens to be my sister, broke my guitar? The show kind of ended there, but uh, the argument did not. (laughs) We had quite the shouting match, which probably lasted several hours. That at some point moved outdoors, and uh, Audrey may have called me God's biggest mistake or something like that, and I may or may not have taken Audrey by the hair and bashed her head into the windshield of her Prius three or four or eight times before my next-door neighbor tackled me. The cops were called, and the rest, as they say, is history. I was sentenced and spent three months in prison. Yay me. Good job, Dwayne. Have I forgiven my sister Audrey for breaking my guitar? No. No, I haven't, and I, I, I never, never, ever, ever will. So, once I got out of prison, the first person I called was Adam Drent. You know, the dude that runs this out-of-all-doors deal, or OOAD, as I like to call it. OOAD. 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 <laughs> anyway, I, I called Adam to see if he had a good spot still on his show, because, you know, prison gives you lots of opportunity to think, and I had several new ideas for episodes of Nature's Serenade. Brilliant ideas. But it seems, at least to your fearless leader, Mr. Drent, that... Out of All Doors doesn't really have a place for someone with rage issues as bad as mine. Apparently Harrison Blum can kill a guy, but once G-Honey breaks a cheap Toyota windshield with his sister's head, that's crossing the line. (sighs) But Adam did graciously let me explain my story to you all, and, and for that I'm grateful. I actually really appreciate it, Adam. So much thanks to you, and... And while I disagree with your decision to axe my show, no hard feelings. (laughs) So with that said, um, I guess I I bid you all a fond adieu. Uh, Thank you for listening to Nature's Serenade. It was a lot of fun, but um, I guess I just have to say goodbye. I I can't do this. I, I can't go out like this. This isn't how it's supposed to end for me. No! I refuse to go out like this. Okay, um, listeners, okay, okay, okay. I have a problem with this. I have a big problem with this. I am the artist here, okay? I may have some anger issues, I may have some rage problems, but I am an artist. An artist who demands to be heard. So, I'm going to speak the truth, dear listeners. Your cordial-sounding, bat-loving host, Mr. Drent, isn't what he seems. <sighs> Remember, remember that poetry dude, that uh, that uh, nephew, uh, un- uncle, no, 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 cousin Ben, cousin Ben, that's it. Uh, remember cousin Ben, and remember how he spoke out against Adam. Is he still on the show? No, because he told it like it was. And anyone who does that on Out of All Doors becomes an outsider, becomes pariah, becomes quickly forgotten. Don't forget me, listeners. Don't you forget about me. I was an artist, and because of some sort of behavior issue, I'm out. Remember me, listeners. Remember me fondly. And I will leave you with one final piece of art. One that I hope will stick in the craw of battery boy Adam Drent. I'm paying homage to Cousin Ben. 
I leave you with a poem. Farewell, listeners. Farewell out of all doors. G-Honey out. Thought I'd take a walk outside today. Seems the thing to do. Hell, anyway. Take a look around to see what I could see. Saw all the people living so naively. Hypnotized by all they can't be. Should be easy to manipulate. I implant. Please weed around me. See how strong and see how mighty. I am. I am. I am. I am. Hi, this is Adam Dren again. You just finished listening to Dwayne G. Honey's final installment of Nature's Serenade, and you're probably assuming that I, again, didn't listen to a segment that was sent to me, that I just put it into the episode without being aware of its content, but that's not true. I actually listened to all of it, and... uh, I made a conscious, deliberate decision to include it so that you could hear how open and blatant and brazen Dwayne's rebellion really is. And his decision to reference and pay homage to and therefore align himself with Cousin Ben means that he will suffer the same fate as Cousin Ben, which is that he will be on the blacklist. He will never ever appear on this show ever again. You will not hear Dwayne's voice on Out of Old Doors ever again. And I just wanted you all to hear what he said so that you would understand my reasoning and you would see that this decision is justified. This five people you meet segment was written by Matt, but he couldn't record it this month, so he sent it to me to read. So again, these are Matt's words in my voice. The five people you meet in a blizzard. Number one, the Yeti. The wind is cold as it whips the fresh falling snow. The moon above casts a luminous glow. Then there in the whiteout comes a sound very deep, the grunt of an animal as it lumbers and creeps. Is it a canine or a more feline breed? What godforsaken wretch's cries do we heed? Is it man, is it beast, is it dying or deadly? The wind carrying its cries in a blood-curdling medley. It's the Yeti it is, and he seeks your blood too. Run as you must, but he will always pursue. For the Yeti thrives in the blizzardy night. Out of the dark comes such an awful fright. He reaches and grabs and rips limb from limb, pulling you apart with a smile so grim. For he's the Yeti, never killed, never dead. The Yeti follows the blizzard wherever he's led. Number two, the false Yeti. 
The false Yeti is like just a sucky imposter. He's not even a real Yeti. I think it's a guy in a bear suit who rolled around in dough to make it look white, and now he's walking around or whatever, even though it's a blizzard. Hello? So yeah, there's the false Yeti, some idiot in a dumb mascot suit, walking around in the snow, grumbling and mumbling like a moron, scaring no one because he can't even see through the eye holes because there's dough in them. And the dough is getting wet and hardening, so he's just a stupid, blind, dumb idiot, and we can all see it's not real fur, and oh my gosh, I hope the real Yeti just kills or eats him or whatever. Number three, the door-to-door vacuum salesman. See him out wandering in his suit and tie, his hairpiece flip-flopping. Now off it flies. He's out there door-knocking, getting last-minute sales. He slips on some black ice, lumbers fatly and flails. Hear him howl out about discounts and suction. His vacuums come with every attachment and function. His awful gait, like the dead man exhumed, he won't stop until every carpet is groomed. Snowdrifts don't stall him as he grunts and guffaws, a winter-born warrior, nose tipped with frost. No one is safe, neither dad, daughter, or son. The Yeti buys a vacuum before he knows what he's done. Number four is Jack. You've all seen Jack. He's out there again, shoveling his drive for the third time this hour. These blizzards really do a number on him. I wish he'd go inside and relax. Life's been hard on Jack since his wife left him for that vacuum guy. He's, like, obsessive about it. Have you seen his garage? I mean, every tool has its place, and it cannot be moved one single inch. Everything's always spotlessly clean. I mean, this is a guy who has a garage and uses it for his car, not just to store a bunch of old refrigerators like the rest of us. And he has electrical tape down on the garage floor to mark where his tires should stop when he pulls in. Anyway, Jack is not a man to let the snow fall on his driveway. Oh, no, sir. He's going to be out there shoveling every drop as soon as it lands. You can hear him singing his crazy song, too, about how if his wife wants it so clean, how's this work for her? How clean is this? Of course, you may not know about last time it snowed like this, when Jack plugged in his vacuum cleater to an extension cord and trying to vacuum up the snow off his driveway just to show that the vacuum would malfunction, which it did, of course. And then, as if that didn't prove the point, Jack lit the thing on fire. We sent him a Christmas card, but we don't really expect a reply. And number five is the diehard caroler. The diehard caroler is the one member of his choir who will not let any weather events stall him from screaming carols door to door up and down the street, the snow blowing right into his mouth as he belts out such yuletide standbys as O Tannenbaum, Big Santa, Big Christmas, Snow Buddy Snows, The Trouble I've Skied, Reckless Winter Saga, Parts 11 through 24, and Noel. The entire neighborhood can hear his awful wailing as he battles his way from door to door, everyone on the inside praying that the Yeti will appear at any moment to put him out of his misery. Hey Adam, this is Cayman. I haven't had a chance to call in, and I've been working non-stop since last month, so I thought i just make a quick recording on my phone and send it in. So first, I need to apologize. Because last month, I, I have no idea how you even got that letter. Because I don't even remember writing it. You see, I didn't call you last month because I got really sick. I decided to take a break from my research for a bit. I was watching some Twin Peaks. And it turns out the cold medicine I took didn't agree with me. Because 
and this is secondhand. Apparently, I called Gentleman's Mills, ordered their entire stock of snow buddies, and then babbled to their information desk for who knows how long. I don't even remember what I did after that. Just weird, fuzzy half memories. I'm still trying to sort out who's financial information I gave them and why I thought I'd uncovered some sort of secret hermit code. But that was all very unprofessional of me. And I think that you, Adam, your podcast and our listeners, everyone, deserve better hermit content. (laughs) Deserve better hermit content than my feverish rantings. So... I was feeling really bad after last month's debacle. I was determined to make some further progress on my research. So I decided to buckle down and start actually following up on some of the people posting on those old discussions. Most of them were dead ends, you know, there's the usual deluge of 13-year-old girls pretending to be hermits, and there were some hermits that were pretending to be 13-year-old girls, but a few were active on other, more recent internet gathering spots, and I was able to make contact with them. Now, most of them said a lot of the same things, you know, the usual, who are you, why are you contacting me, what do you want, are you Mark Zuckerberg coming to give me money, do you have Netflix, can I come over and catch up on hoarders? But then one of them, immediately after they picked up, asked if I had received a call yet, and then just hung up before I could even answer. Now, Adam, I know how this next part will sound. But bear with me. So immediately afterwards, someone calls me, tells me that I need to go stake out a field to the north of town, and and they insist that I use a code name for them any time I refer to them now or in the future. They want me to call them uh, Agent Scabies. Anyways, with no other leads to go off of, I followed their instructions to go to that field. I got there at sundown, I hid in the bushes, and I waited with my binoculars in hand until about three in the morning. And then I saw lights far off, and eventually, when they got closer, I saw it was torches being carried by a bunch of dirty men. That's right, Adam. It was an actual gathering of hermits. My excitement that <coughs> Gabies had actually come through and wasn't just another 13-year-old girl with too much spare time and an ill-advised obsession with hermitry was short-lived, however, because as soon as the hermits got to the clearing, they spread out, staked their torches in the ground, and pulled out all sorts of weapons. Yes, Adam, they had weapons. I I didn't take any more cold medicine before then, and I'm certain I wasn't hallucinating because of the cold. They really had weapons. They had pipes, bats, golf clubs, broken bottles. Heck, one of them even had a handrail from a local handicap van, but all of them being brandished as weapons. I had absolutely no clue what was going to happen next, because that wasn't at all what I expected. 
but before I could think about it very much, a second group of dirty men showed up, and when they reached the clearing, all hell broke loose. The torchlight made it hard to see exactly what was going on, but you wouldn't think you'd need much light to see 50 men with bad hygiene trying to murder each other in the woods. Turns out you do, though. Because whatever I thought I saw was clearly not what was actually going on. Because here's the thing. None of them were actually getting hurt or dying or anything. They were just fighting and fighting and fighting. I kept on straining my eyes to try and make out what was going on better. But before I could figure it out, one man walked into the middle and stopped the whole scene with upraised hands. Much to the light of half of them, and the dismay of the other half, I could only conclude what was going on was some sort of game, some sort of simulated combat. Like, some sort of weird hermit SCCA combat. As the hermits dispersed in every direction, I had to leave quickly because I was very concerned now that perhaps I had underestimated them. I mean, how many people managed to not kill someone with a broken bottle in the course of a 30-minute field brawl? Incompetent? Yes. Spain? I wasn't so sure anymore. Anyway, Adam, I'm sure you're as confused and surprised about this as I am, but rest assured, I'll get to the bottom of this eventually. That's... That's all I've got for you this time, Adam. I'll call you back next month. Until then. It's a new year, and that means it's time to make a real effort to better yourself. Don't kid yourself, you could be better. That's why Gentleman's Mills has assembled a series of correspondence courses for you to take through the mail system. Please keep in mind, these are correspondence courses. They are not available online, and that's by design. Here are just a few of the many enriching correspondence courses Gentleman's Mills has prepared and ready for you to pay for. Number one, how to read, the four-volume box set. Each volume is filled with clear sketches illustrating for the viewer exactly what he or she must do to read. Number two, identify everything. This course prepares you to identify every item that is carrying a valid license. Number three, Kerr's Course. A primer for good dogs on how to be more like them rascally old hound dogs. Now get! Number four, Crank It Up, the volumes. Indeterminate number of books dealing with cranking methodologies, including clockwise and counterclockwise. Number five, Grapes of Modern Literature. Course covers the instances of literal grapes mentioned in modern works of literature. No figurative grapes are addressed. Number six, world of biology minus the icky bits. You won't be hearing about blood or viscera in this course. Number seven, drying your clothes. Tragically, an entire course. Number eight, full metal good boy. A metalworking course taught by a former therapist who likes to reward good soldering jobs with effusive praise. Number nine, Possible Constellations. Filmed in a planetarium, this series of jerky, grainy videos features the Gentleman's Mills co-founders using a laser pointer to point out what may be constellations in the very heavens. Number 10, Blood Rain. Not as bad as it sounds, this course challenges students to identify blood and rain using special hints. For example, which one is red in color? Super hint, it's not rain. 
Number 11, gray overalls. Comes in a padded envelope. Once you've put them on, you've passed the course. Number 12, slit streams, wormholes, and molehills. Part cosmic physics, part varmint tunnelry. You choose what you want to be tested on. Number 13, the text is upside down. This correspondence course features six mailings of massive volumes that must be turned all the way around to be read. The text is utter gibberish. Number 14, how to notice money. Tired of overlooking most or all of the money that you already have? This course teaches you how to see, recognize, and consciously acknowledge your hard-earned cash. Number 15, learn to develop a correspondence course. Please help us. We send you a blank notebook. You write us on how to do a correspondence course. We have no idea what a correspondence course is. Write down something, please. If you do that, okay, you pass or whatever. Please do this for us. Number 16, Grisham's Request. Ghostwrite John Grisham's next novel via correspondence course, just like all his novels have been written. Number 17, Tobogganist. How to tell a resident of Tobago through word and deed. Number 18, The Nature of Evil. This course is significantly more lighthearted than you'd think, but unfortunately this lightheartedness comes at the expense of a real exploration of the topic, and many graduates are left trying to remember if evil was ever even mentioned at any point during the course. Number 19, Truth Be Told. Humorous collection of toll road foibles mysteriously billed as a correspondence course. Three-question exam mostly focuses on the differences between toll and non-toll roads. Number 20, Total Recall Correspondence Course Edition, a surprisingly exhaustive course expertly analyzing every scene of this can't-miss VHS classic. Those not serious need not apply. Number 21, Horrifying Imagery. This correspondence course isn't for the faint of heart, but if you pass with a B or higher, you get 10 free smaller copies of your certificate to pass out to your friends and family. Number 22, How to Speak France. This course is a trick. See if you can figure out how. I suggest you take another look at its title. Number 23, Fallen to Thy Sword. How to self-sacrifice your way to the very top. Best advice from those who rush to take blame. Number 24, Pre-Rec. This course is a prerequisite for our car crashing seminar. Topics include shaving via rear view mirror, pedal to the metal, and passing lane business productivity enhancement. Number 25, Easy A. Sign up for this course if you want the Gentleman's Mills co-founders to pad your stats. C's and D's gets degrees. Those to whom us pays, they're the ones whom gets the A. Number 26, Speaking of Idiots. Learn how to navigate the tricky straits of English parlance with the adroit workmanship of a living, orbiting Magellan when talking about idiots. And number 27, Manion's Removal Technique. Surprisingly detailed and complex mayonnaise removal techniques taught by an instructor who struggles constantly with the spelling of the word mayonnaise.
Well, where are we today, Jason? Hmm. Well, if my calculations are correct, you're not going to believe this, but it appears that on this version of Earth, David Bowie is still alive. Then you might as well dismantle the portal hopper. We're not leaving. Well, this is interesting. Doing a bit of research here, it seems the David Bowie that lives on this planet didn't have a big commercial breakthrough with the song Space Oddity. Oh, yeah? What was his uh, breakthrough single on this version of Earth? Let me see. I think I can stream a sample here. A pie, now we're cooking! So if you say pajamas, and I say pajamas, I'll wear pajamas and give up pajamas. Close your eyes, lie down, and relax. You shouldn't be visualizing anything yet. The part of your brain that visualizes things should be switched off because I haven't told you to visualize anything yet, and I have no intention of trying to compete with your own personal visualization whims. Technically, you shouldn't even be visualizing blackness because blackness is something, and if I wanted you to visualize blackness, I would tell you. But if blackness is your best approximation of nothing, then I guess I can live with it for now. I'm not trying to be a jerk about this, but telling you what to visualize in order to bring you interior peace isn't easy, and it's even less easy when I'm having to strain to drown out a bunch of junk that you're already visualizing when I get here, and which, let's be honest, is not the kind of thing that's going to elevate your interior peace levels. That's why you need a visualization exercise in the first place, because every time you close your eyes without me here to direct you, you're immediately visualizing a bunch of bills and ill-behaved offspring and treacherous co-workers and favorite pets biting litigious neighbors on the neck and mothers-in-law bonking fathers-in-law on the head with rolling pins so many times that the fathers-in-law forget to put you in their wills. And to be clear, these are not things you should be visualizing now. These are examples of things that you should never be visualizing, whether I'm here or not. And I think I made that pretty clear. So if you were visualizing them as I was listing them, that was a big mistake. You find yourself in a hot mountain spring, luxuriating in the steaming water as snow falls gently all around you. You forgot to pack your favorite swimsuit for the hike, but you were wearing your second favorite swimsuit as underwear, so it turned out pretty good. Your pack and the rest of your clothes are in a heap next to the hot spring, and you are enjoying a cigar. You aren't smoking the cigar, it's actually floating in the hot spring, but you like how it looks, so in that sense, you're enjoying it. And it's not just you and the cigar in the hot spring, there's also one of those monkeys that looks like an elderly man wearing gray pajamas and monkey makeup. You've decided to name the monkey Bill the Female Rhino in direct contradiction to its gender, species, and its name tag, which reads Danny. You're not sure if this makes you a weirdo or not, but you really enjoy how warm water feels on your skin, and you have since three days ago. Four days ago, you tried to get into a hot tub with some friends, but as soon as you dipped one toe in the water, you were like, Ew, yuck, ick. 
But then three days ago, the shower in your hotel was all out of cold water, so you had to use hot water and you were dreading it. But then you got under the hot water and you were like, hey, yeah, this is nice. I guess my body chemistry changed overnight. And you haven't looked back ever since. You're feeling a big, heaping helping of interior peace right now, and you try to visualize treacherous co-workers just to see what happens. And nothing happens. You can't visualize treacherous co-workers at all. But I will tell you this. One of those treacherous co-workers who you can't even visualize right now is actually visualizing you in this hot spring with this monkey. And it's really stressing her out. She hates visualizing you happy and content like this. She's trying to visualize Bill the female rhino lunging across the hot spring and clawing at your face. But that's not going to happen on my watch. Look how docile he is over there just enjoying that cigar. And again, he's not smoking the cigar either. He's enjoying the song that the cigar is emitting at a frequency unhearable by human ears. But don't feel like you're missing much. Even if you were capable of hearing the song, you wouldn't like it. You should just keep enjoying how the cigar looks and let the monkey enjoy how it sounds. And now you're visualizing that treacherous coworker, visualizing you relaxing unattacked in the hot spring. And you're visualizing how upset that's making her. And even though this is undoubtedly petty, you cannot deny the positive impact that it's having on your interior peace. It's almost like your visualization and her visualization have attached themselves to each other with some sort of pulsing monstrous tentacles. And your visualization is sucking all the interior peace out of your treacherous coworker by way of her visualization and depositing that interior peace in you. And now her visualization is thrashing around, trying to detach itself from yours, but yours isn't going to let go until it's extracted every drop of interior peace it can reach. It's a gross thing to visualize, but undeniably effective for our purposes, and there's no law that says something has to be either a promoter of interior peace or gross. Why not both? You keep glancing over at Bill the female rhino. He certainly looks wise, but is he wise? It's a mystery that scientists have been trying to solve in many other cases of wise-looking animals throughout the years. And what they've found is that you really have to take them on a case-by-case basis. Some wise-looking animals are quite wise indeed. They can intuit when scientists are feeling sad and know exactly how to cheer them up using only grunts, licks, and strategic deployment of their own furriness. While some wise-looking animals will happily eat themselves to death, which seems like a difficult act to spin as evidence of wisdom. So which kind is Bill the female rhino? Well, that's just the kind of low-stakes musing perfect for keeping a mind just occupied enough to not wander off in unpeaceful directions. So I certainly won't object if this is what you want to spend a little time thinking about. The steam rising from the hot spring melts the falling snowflakes six inches above the water, and they fall the rest of the way to the surface as chilly droplets. You shift around where you sit, and the resulting ripples send the cigar bobbing away to the other side of the hot spring. Bill the female rhino coughs, attracting your attention. He catches your eye, nods at you with a significant look in his eye, points at you, and then taps his own forearm. Points again, nods again. His look becomes even more significant, and you finally lazily glance down at your own forearm. It's beginning to sprout gray fur. Well, great. You're turning into a monkey exactly like Bill the female rhino. You look down at your chest and the gray fur is sprouting there too, as are the beginnings of a name tag that looks like it's going to read Bonnie. So, okay, it's that kind of hot spring, you think to yourself. Well, you've always considered yourself wise, but not particularly wise looking, so now you get to see how it feels to be the complete package. You visualize your treacherous co-worker, now utterly without interior peace, and she looks pretty frazzled. 
And maybe the transformation that's occurring right now isn't merely external. And maybe this all started three days ago when you suddenly began to appreciate warm water. Maybe that was the first domino to tip, or maybe it was the third, or the billionth. But whatever's going on with you, you can't help but feel a twinge of pity for your treacherous co-worker, even in the midst of all this interior peace. And so you visualize her, visualizing you, transforming into a monkey in a hot spring. And you can't help but smile when you see the little jolt of pleasure your treacherous co-worker gets when she visualizes you experiencing something which she incorrectly assumes must be very troubling for you. And you realize why there's no finite supply of interior peace in this world. It need not be drained from one vessel in order to fill another. Even something as silly as a misperception of someone you envy suffering can cause interior peace to bud and blossom if you're the wrong kind of person. And hey, listen to you. Maybe getting wiser looking is making you wiser. You try to say something, but it just comes out as monkey chatter. You stand and wade across the hot spring, plucking the cigar from the water and motioning to build a female rhino for a lighter, which he tosses you. And then you spend the next eight hours serenely trying to light a sodden cigar, enjoying it all the while. And now, as you open your eyes, please, listener, do not forget to take the interior piece of Out of All Doors with you this month, even when you're inside of one or more doors. Thank you for listening to the 17th episode of Out of All Doors. I'm Adam Drent, and I would like to thank Matt Martin, Casey Bai, Grang Lynch, Chris Nichols, Andy Poppenfuss, Ben Berg, Kamen Bird, KT McVeigh, and Aaron Eikenberry for their contributions, written, audible, and technical. Thanks to Casey Bai and J.J. Evans for making all the music used in the show. If you'd like to get in touch for any reason, you can send emails to the show at outofalldoors at gmail.com or me personally at adamdren at gmail.com. You can also call or text me at 574-518-1983. I'd love to hear from you. And I'm active on Twitter, too. I'm at HugePop. Here's another thing I'd love. If you went on iTunes and rated this podcast, maybe wrote a review, maybe even subscribed, be sure to check out my website, HugePop.com, where you can find links to my other projects, including Bedtime Stories, One Man's World, and the music I make is The Mispronouncer. Bedtime Stories and One Man's World are also on iTunes if you search for them under podcasts, and you can rate and review those, too. And a Bedtime Stories app is also available for all smart-style phones. We'll be back in a month with episode 18 of Out of All Doors. 